0: Do you have a team without an HR department? Or maybe your HR department is someone who just got the job because they were already in the office. Or maybe you have a well-staffed HR department and are just looking for outside professional advice. Whatever the case, HRTG can help. HRTG can help with handbooks, interactive training workshops, employee relations that include resolving issues and answering questions, performance reviews, and writing compliance and policies. To simply put it, they cover everything from hiring to retiring. Do what you're good at and let HRTG do what they are great at, help you with your HR needs. Go to ScalingUpH2O.com forward slash HR to find out more. Happy Thanksgiving, Scaling Up Nation. Can you believe we are almost through 2021? Hard to believe. I think 2020 took at least three years for us to get through. At least it seemed like that. And now we're almost over with 20. 21. I hope that 2022 is just fantastic and I can't wait for all the great things that are going to happen. But yesterday was Thanksgiving. Speaking of great things, I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is by far my favorite holiday and it's my favorite holiday because I absolutely love to cook. I especially love to cook when people come over and I can give part of myself through cooking to them. And for those of you that remember Kathleen Edelman, I am a red, I enjoy getting credit for my work. So with that, when people say, wow, this is just amazing, it is just lighting me up on every single level. So by far, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And I think turkey is underrated. Not sure why that is. Not sure if you knew Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird. Of course, he lost out to the bald eagle. That was probably a good decision. But turkey is something that uh, it's one of my favorite things to eat. I always brine a turkey and then I, I smoke it. And it is fantastic. And it's fantastic because it tastes good on the day of Thanksgiving And then I am one of those people that will make a different turkey dish each and every day for the next week. And then anything after a week, it becomes dog treats. We normally don't have that much left over. Sometimes I overcook and something that we do every Thanksgiving, if we're in town and most every year we're in town, we invite anybody we know that is spending Thanksgiving by themselves. And we have had as little as four people at our Thanksgiving table. We've had as many as 40 people come over for Thanksgiving. It's something that we've always done. And then on a day like today, well, this is Thanksgiving Friday. And something that we do is we go out to eat at a Waffle House, and we always pay for the table that's behind us. Just to say thank you, the fact that we can do that, maybe bring a little joy and spark somebody to do something good behind us. That's something that we always do. And um, I don't know, I'm curious, what are your Thanksgiving traditions? Is there something you do on the day after Thanksgiving to really make sure Thanksgiving counts? Anyway, just curious, but again, one of my favorite holidays. So happy Thanksgiving, Scaling Up Nation. Now, something that I've been thankful for this entire year is around this time last year, I got a call from a good friend of mine and the Scaling Up H2O podcast, James McDonald. And I'm going to back up even a little bit more. James has always been a strong supporter of this podcast. And he was one of the first people I called when I thought about doing it. And he gave me so much support. And he's, he's been a great sounding board about different ideas and things that I've had as we've grown over the last four years. But about this time last year, James called me and asked what I thought about him coming on the show each and every week and talking about a challenge. And his thought was that using the platform of the podcast to get the message out, That we could use his challenge to challenge each one of you in the Scaling Up Nation to do something that you may not have done if you weren't challenged to do it. And at the end of a year, you would have done 52 things to round out what you do as an industrial water treater. And when we all do the same things over and over and over and over and over again, it gets boring. We get complacent and we almost resent going back to the same accounts because it it's boring. I mean, that's just what it boils down to. So if we do something different in those same accounts, we can make it more exciting and we can also push the limits on what we know. And when we push the limits, we're learning. So here's another opportunity for you to learn something. Here's James.
1: Hello, Scaling Up Nation! The next James' challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is. <music> Test pH of condensate immediately and then an hour later on the same open sample. Setting water samples may or may not experience changes in water chemistry as they react with the open atmosphere. It depends upon the water sample taken, temperature, and even each individual chemical within the sample. How does time impact pH of an open boiler, condensate, RO permeate, cooling tower, or closed loop sample? If a change in pH occurred, do you know why? If one didn't occur, do you know why? Are there other water samples you can try this on? Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share.
0: Nation, if you've listened to this show, you have heard us talk about the topic of Legionella. It's a topic that a lot of us have heard, but many of us don't fully understand. And even more so, many of us are scared of it. Now, I'm of the opinion that if you are intimidated by any topic, That is your sign that you need to go out and learn as much as you can about that topic. That's your indicator to go learn something. And when you learn something, you can learn something else. And that will promote learning something else. Now, back on episode 83, I had Matt Farigi come on and talk about water management plans. And several people told me that was the first time that they've really been introduced to what a proper water management plan is. So if you haven't listened to that episode, that was one of our early episodes, that was episode 83, go listen to that. Of course, if you want to learn more about Legionella, I've had numerous experts on the program talking about Legionella. Just go to our show notes page, uh, scalinguph2o.com. Put Legionella in the search bar and you will find a whole host of shows that you can devour and start getting that information that you desire. By the way, any topic that you can think of, put in that search bar and chances are in the 200 plus shows that we've done, you will find easy way for you to start learning while you're driving to your next account. So make sure you're using that webpage. We put a lot of work into it and we do that to make it easy for you to find the shows and easy for you to find the next topic you want to learn about. But today we are going to talk a little bit more about water management plans, but today's show is going to be a little bit different. Today we're going to talk to somebody who actually puts boots on the ground, and they work the water management plan. Scaling Up Nation, my lab partner today, is Larry Pond of Innovative Water Consultants. Larry, how the heck are you today?
2: I'm actually home for a, uh, for a half minute, so I'm pretty good.
0: Yeah, Larry is never home. Every time I talk (laughs) to Larry, he's always somewhere new. So it is a big change for him to. I've never even seen inside your home. Not that we've done a lot of video calls, but every video call we've done, it has never been in your home. That is correct.
2: That is depressing as well.
0: (laughs) Part of the job, part of all the things that you do to help all the people out there in the Scaling Up Nation, which we're going to talk about. But before we do, can you introduce to the Scaling Up Nation who Larry Pond is? The short introduction is basically I'm a professional jack-of-all-trades.
2: I started life as an electrical engineer. My first job was diagnostic echocardiography, which went into 10 years of network administration, which went into building management for 10 years. And... I met my current boss who was treating our water at that facility, and he said, you look haggard. Would you like a job? And that's how I got stuck into this mess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A whole bunch of things we can unpack from that. (laughs) That's kind of busy. I realize that. (laughs) Well, something I would like to talk about is I think you have a, a very unique perspective from somebody like me, where I started out in water treatment. That's what I've known. That's what my father trained me to be. But you saw the end user perspective before you saw the position that you are in now. So my question is, what are you able to see? What are you able to ascertain from talking with customers that's just easier for you because you've been in that seat than it would be for somebody like me? Okay, I'm going to tip my hand. I'm actually cheating a little bit because a lot of these facilities
2: the hydronics are not completely unfamiliar because my father and my grandfather both worked at Pirlos Pump who made these pumps. And when I step into a facility, I know virtually more about the hydronics than the local staff does. And because I had 10 years of experience in building management, that opened up my eyes to a whole new can of worms that I've never seen before. The water flow, the characteristics, the, how treatment is critical. The, I can file up water source heat pumps and then kill them. And then the owners are complaining. And it's a unique perspective because I've been on this side of the fence receiving all the complaints. And now I'm on the other side of the fence saying, you need to prevent these problems. So when I step into a mechanical room, I basically wear my HVAC hat and I can see your problems from across the room. You know, pipes are leaking, sweating, and this is going to be rust and corrosion on the outside. When was the last time you had treatment? What treatment are you using? And you can almost guess as to the condition of the water on the inside. And it doesn't matter if it's chiller, open loop, closed loop, uh, borders. You can surmise the equipment condition pretty quick when you step into the room. And a lot of the problem that I face is not just the condition of the equipment that we're looking at or dealing with. It is the fact that a lot of these mechanical people um, are aging and have retired, or they've taken a new position, and the janitor now gets promoted. So you step into the room, you know more about it than they do. So it's a a learning curve for them. And it's a teaching experience for you to give them the cheat notes that they need to move
0: forward and protect their equipment and their investment. What's a technique that you use? Because I find when I know something and the customer doesn't, if you don't treat it delicately, it could seem to come off very condescendingly. Yes, very harsh. What do you do to make sure that that's not the case? Because I've been on the receiving end, <laughs> not just the giving end, but the receiving end,
2: um, I know all, uh, a lot of the language uh, and irritations. Like, your, your system is completely screwed up. You need to start over and do it. Uh, can you have this in my next visit? And there's a scratch on the head going, what's screwed up? Can you tell me what this is? How is this legitimate to up to $100,000 bill? If I can say, you need a filter feeder to clean this thing up because it's affecting everyone's electric bill. It's $1,000 a month instead of you know, $250 a month, or it's leaking profusely. And your water bill is through the roof. And as you know, water bills aren't cheap and you pay twice in sewer what you do for water. So the art comes in from seeing their perspective and knowing how to gently say that it's screwed up without saying it's screwed up. So how do you delicately say your stuff screwed up? I I, I, turn the, I cheat again. I turn the tables and I say, when was the last time this was addressed? Or when was the last time your sock filter was changed? Or do you know your size of your sock filters? Because that lets you know immediately if this person knows anything about the hydraulics or the equipment and how often they perform maintenance. And if their answers are blank stares, um, that's your opportunity for teaching. Versus, you know, this is screwed up. How do you deal with this? That's a little harsh. And if you make the question... Uh, what is your service interval? Um, what did it look like last time? Who was treating it last time? Can I take a peek at the reports to see what they're utilizing to see if we can improve upon it versus this is a hot mess. How do you, how do you stomach going to work each day? You know That's where I strike the balance is put myself in their shoes and what kind of soft
0: questions would I prefer versus being browbeaten. Uh, that's great advice. Now, you do a specific type of water treatment, but before we get there, can you tell the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about what your average day-to-day is like? Messy. Very messy.
2: <laughs> it depends on the day. It depends on the, the task at hand. One day could be standard service, uh, field service, local or or remote like Raleigh or Carolinas or at the I-Building in Chicago. In Chicago. Um, it could be a new account that we're doing in Seattle, Washington next week. Uh, I could be flying out there, staying a week, looking at all the equipment, giving a complete wish list of things to address at contract start, what would be necessary chemicals and, and delivery dates, uh, proposed delivery dates. It could also be water management plans because facilities, and we'll talk about this shortly, a lot of facilities during the COVID pandemic, everyone walked out, flipped the lights off, shut the door, and just pretended the building didn't exist for 10 months. And then they are under the erroneous assumption that you just walk back in, open the doors, turn the lights back on, and all is well with the world. And that's not the case. So a lot of infestation has occurred due to stagnation, lack of chlorination, off of, of whatever uh, municipal water treatment was applied. So the buildings are now a hotbed. They're petri dishes. So they turn them on, and th- the first test that they do that's overdue is – Across the board, Legionella, whatever species, you know, heterotrophic plant count is through the roof. So the water management plan goes hand in hand with our testing side. We want to get ahead of it with a water management plan. And if you can't, it's a remediation. And the testing validates both your plan and your uh, efficacy for your remediation. So the day-to-day could be new services or remediation, water management plan could be testing. Could be uh, hiring somebody new and putting them out in the field and and training them. And I'd greatly prefer that they be with me versus reading a book. I want them to make their mistakes in front of me, not in front of the customer. Especially remote control. How do I fix this over the phone? We can do remote surgery, but that's not my default starting point. So the day is complicated. It depends on where I'm going and who who I'm interfacing with. It could be you know training departments of health. Um, but they don't need to hit the nuclear attack button uh, because of an outbreak or a suspected case in a building where they're trying to do an investigation. You don't need a water buffalo and and water restrictions just because you're beginning an investigation. If there's an actual case, yeah, you need to do something different. But Again, I go back to the facility maintenance people got their jobs directly or indirectly through whatever means and may or may not be up to speed. And the exact same thing is true with government entities, departments of health, where they're reading a wall chart. And they have no idea what this facility is or how old it is, or are there backflow preventers that need to be uh, serviced or updated? Are there none? Is it grandfathered in? Is this the the path to infestation for the facility? We have a lot of interesting phone calls, so I never know which day is going to pop up with which problem. But rest assured, it's going to be one of
0: the above or more. Well, obviously, you do a lot of water management plans, and you also do regular industrial water treatment. I'm sure we have several listeners today that they need to talk to their customers about not only what a water management plan is, but why they really need to strongly consider having one in place. You do that conversation very well. So how would you coach the Scaling Up Nation to have that conversation with their client? The same soft sell can be applied towards water treatment as
2: it can water management plans. Generally speaking, if the The facility management is willing to listen to uh, a well-thought-out overview. This is your facility. It's been down for quite some time. There could be a lot of stagnation in your facility, and it's not just a water management plan would help prevent this by keeping the water moving. Again, if it's moving, it can't stick. If it can't stick, it can't grow. There's no amplification, discharge to a susceptible populace. It's also, the stagnation can also uh, directly lead to copper leaching, which is what I fought in Montana. So the pipes are literally stagnant. Your copper pipes are being degraded. And when you open it back up, you do a test and it says 2.6 ppm of copper. Now you're above safe drinking water uh, levels. You're literally drinking pennies when you turn your uh, water back on. In order to get around this, not just an emergency procedures plan, but a water management plan is key to identify your risks, to mitigate them through proper control measures. If you don't have one of these guys, it's happenstance. If the municipal water uh, plant happens to be giving you enough disinfectant and you happen to be randomly flushing through uh, through the system, you might have enough protection. I wouldn't rely on that because you don't know what they're treating it with. Uh, Chlorines, monochloramines, uh, chlorine dioxides, what have you. So the rate of degradation to the facility is all over the map, literally all over the map. It could be one one PPM could be down to 0.2. Again, I thought this in, in Montana. The conversation should be geared towards Do you have a plan? How do you protect your system? How do you protect your people? What risk factors do you have? And are your current measures adequate for these protections? That's the starting point for my conversation. As the conversation progresses, we offer these services, or you can put one together yourself through the CDC test kit and ASHRAE 188 literature. But most people that we've seen who have attempted this um, have a very poor result. I'm being generous with those words. The problem is they're not identifying all the risk factors. They don't have appropriate control measures. And everyone seems to think turn the water and flush it and heat and flush is the cure for all. And that's just not the case. That's not even a legitimate starting point. If you're missing you know, the hot tub, the, the pool, if you're missing the recirculating line on your hot water system, you're missing key features that are just hot spots for bacterial growth if you don't have a water management plan for identifications for these risk factors. The conversation really needs to be geared towards the person you're dealing with, their sensitivities, the structure that you're dealing with. Is it a hospital, a nursing home? Is it a, a school system? Because the conversation would be vastly different. Is this going to be strictly for this particular facility, or is it going to be for the region? Like uh, Franklin Schools in Indiana, that would be a conversation for the, the maintenance grounds people, for all of the facilities, not just a building. Because if they're going to do it for one, they're going to do it for all. Or is it going to be strictly, you know, a Motel 6 and you have five rooms to deal with? You know, change your aerators, flush your system out. You're basically there. That's the short answer. I realize it's not short, it?
0: Well, no, it's a great answer, but uh, so, so let's, let's do a little role play here. I, now the customer, you told me all that, and I say, Larry, that all sounds well and fine, but there's nothing, unless I live in New York, so I don't live in New York, there's nothing mandating that I do anything. So why should I? I'm going to go back to two conversations I
2: had, one at AWT and one with Adam Green. This conversation is going to be a little dark, so bear with me for just a minute. Let me give you the example. This may not be the exact conversation I'd have with you, but this is the the starting point in my mind. When an accident happens in an airline, the authorities ground all these airlines, particular models like DC tens or nines, when the wings fell off or something. If people die, they take note in short order. Uh, It's not complicated. This is a problem. We need to find out what it is, address it, and fix it industry wide. Just full stop. That's it. Keep that in mind. How many people have died in airlines, uh, and they've avoided? any reparations to these flights, that doesn't happen. They ground all of them until they have a cure. How many people have died from Legionnaire's disease? Uh, How many people have been sick from Pontiac fever? If your building is infested, how many people need to become ill because people have been completely complacent? This is not my water system. I just happen to run the building. This is a paycheck for me. This is a job. Why should I care about any of this? It's not just you. It's everyone else in the facility. Are they taking a shower? Are they in the hot tub? Um, is there a sprinkler system that they can be affected with? It's not just the facility itself, it's anyone associated with it. Because this is not just an isolated problem that happened to be in 1976 in Philadelphia. This is worldwide. We're all fighting this problem. And the downside is that it only hits the news when a lot of people are seriously infected and or they, they die from it. Let's face it Disneyland and the hot spots in New York City. So, if you keep the model of the airplane crash in mind, if we were to apply that model, we would have proper control regulations in place across the board already, but probably worldwide, at least United States wide. Why should a facilities owner care about it? Is is it a nursing home? Let's say the answer to that is yes. Now, you're not just the administrator. Put yourself in the recipient's shoes. It is your aunt, your uncle, your mother, your father that is in this facility? They've had a wonderful life and they're, they're becoming infirm and old aged. Why should they be susceptible uh, and or inflicted with biological contamination from a shower? Why could that possibly potentially be a death sentence to them? So if you keep in mind that this is preventable to a very large degree, it's controllable, containable, a water management plan is the cheapest conceivable form of insurance that gets you off the hook. Um, you are addressing a problem that you know is underlying. It's not just for you know old people in 1976 in Philadelphia. It's for everybody. If you see a water system, it is a potential hazard. And I say hazard because, let's face it, waterborne pathogens are not pretty. They can do lots of damage. It's not just Legionnaire's disease or, or some form of pneumonia. It could be much worse than that. I prefer not to get into that right now, but the conversation should be geared towards put yourself in somebody else's shoes, not just your own. It's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. If your mother is in there, would you want
0: her to be attacked by this risk? Well, there's another group of people out there, and I'm sure we've all spoken with them. They think that the course of action of doing nothing is better than doing something and maybe getting it wrong. What do you say to them? (laughs) I have words that I
2: can't say here. Complacency is not a path uh, for resolution. It is, I'm not being hit with a lawsuit. Therefore, why should I lift a finger? It's off the radar. It's not affecting me. It's not affecting my clients. There's absolutely no guarantee that it won't be an atomic bomb that goes off next week. In your facility, could be so far infested. You haven't tested. You have no management plan. You're not flushing. Six people could get sick and die. And do you want the six lawsuits on your hands? Again, I don't, feel that complacency is a proper path forward that guarantees stagnation. It absolutely does not take negligence off the table. If you have a water management plan and it's validated through proper culture testing, you're doing your job. I wouldn't say you're going above and beyond, but in this day and age, that is, in my mind, the gold standard. That takes a lot of the litigation away. It's now no longer... We... Don't have a plan. We have no idea what you're talking about. No one's ever gotten, gotten sick from our facility before. Why shouldn't we care? It's you know, it's bad luck for your aunt who happens to be in here. That's a bad way to look at this. The correct method is get ahead of it, stay ahead of it, because it's always faster, cheaper, and easier than complacency and trying to make up for lost time.
0: Because once the Department of Health steps in, you've had it. That's the nail on the coffin. So let's say we've had these conversations. They say, you know what, Larry, you're right. We need to get a water management plan. you now send back and forth some proposals, probably through a couple of emails. You agree on a price. You agree on basically what the scope of work is going to be. And now you've stepped foot on the facility. What's the first thing you should look at? What's the last thing that you should look at? Who should you be talking with? What, what's the dichotomy of what we should go through with a water management plan? I try to go for the
2: most senior or longest lived employee for the maintenance side. Usually the 60-year-old guys are just about ready to retire, know the building like the back of their hand, and they know where all the skeletons are, the dead legs, the cross connections, things that leak profusely. They know where the circulating pumps are and all the mechanics and hydraulics. I go with them first um, because the administrators don't really know any of this. They just say, we have a building we're in charge of, go deal with the maintenance people and they can fill in the blanks for you. What do we look for first? All risk factors. Again, the CDC toolkit is a phenomenal resource for this guy. Basically, the short answer is water capable of flowing out and, and atomizing. If it is, that's a risk factor, and it doesn't matter what it is hot tubs, pools, showers, sinks, toilets for splash up, a sprinkler system is outside, anything that directly comes in with uh, municipal water and can uh, aerosolize or, or, or be aspirated. Look at uh, your heaters, holding tanks, uh, down mixing valves. And a lot of the problems are directly related with heat because many jurisdictions absolutely require a discharge no more than 112, 115 degrees for scald protection. And that's a problem. You know as well as I do, that is the ideal growth range for a lot of these pathogens, in particular Legionella. So even if you have the water heater set for 140, 160 degrees and the holding tanks for the same and discharge uh, out to a down mix, it's 112. Now, unless this is phenomenally insulated, So the return temperatures are in the same range. That's a lot of water pressure and flow, by the way. You're dealing with the sweet spot of legionella growth because the 140 is killing it off. But what are you mixing it with? City water, which may not have enough disinfection, which could be infested into 112 degree discharge into the facility. So we look at a lot of these guys. Distal water flows and temperatures and return temperatures these are the hotspots that if there's going to be a problem, they're likely going to be here and need
0: to be addressed first. That was, that's what the typical water management plan should be looking for and addressing. So obviously, you know a lot about this topic. And, and one of the things that I really admire about you is you have a passion for learning. You didn't wake up and you just knew everything about Legionella and water management plans. And I know we, we never get to a point where we know everything, but you know more than most How did you get there? Again, I cheated. (laughs) I had some interesting
2: conversations with Dr. Janet Stout, Bill Pearson, Jay Farmery, yourself, and to a large degree, uh, Gary Garcia. Uh, The chemical applications on how to uh, treat systems, what to look for for biological infestations and uh, culturing, the types of tests that would be utilized, the results, how to read them and report back good, bad, or indifferent to the customer. So I've, I've picked everyone's brain over the years. In particular, probably Bill J. and Janet. They've been the largest influence
0: uh, for getting a handle on the biological infestations for facilities and how to treat them. Any books you can recommend if somebody's just trying to get a general knowledge about what we're talking about? To my knowledge, there's no all-inclusive borderborne
2: pathogens book that would, that would iterate what we're discussing. You would have to pick up probably several different books I would recommend doing some Google searches on waterborne pathogens because a lot would pop up that would be probably more current than a, a book published last year. God knows it's changing and morphing every minute. Because Janet's interpretation is microbiology up to water treatment point and stops, and ours is water treatment up to microbiology and that stops. And where they meet is well, the science says. We need to change our scope of work into CDC elite certifications, into looking for more pathogens because there are now thermophiles that are resistant to higher temperatures. There are some that can resist typical chlorination shocks. Not all of them, but they're, they're, they're becoming more resilient, harder to kill. And the problem is some of these guys aren't just harder to kill in the systems. Once they get out of the systems, now they're antibiotic pan-resistant. So if you don't kill it while it's in the system, you may not kill it while it's out. I don't know of a single book that can cover that topic because there's like nine topics involved in in that. That's why I pick everyone's brain and just take cheat notes.
0: And you mentioned a couple of times the CDC toolkit. Uh, That's a a great resource. Uh, That's a great one to go over with customers because you can just line by line talk about each one of the sections and answer questions as you have a visual. Is that how you use it? That's exactly it. They did a really
2: good job, and they didn't make it overly complicated or convoluted. It's very simple, very clean, very straightforward. Uh, it's a logical flow, logical progression, and they don't use large words because a lot of people go, when you start speaking microbiological or legional they go, what in the world are you talking about? It's like bugs. Short answer is bugs. <laughs> These bugs, you can't kill with a can of Raid, because if I used a can of Raid like that, I would melt your building.
0: Good point. You know, some biological words you just use or a word you use was, was thermophile, meaning a, a bacteria that likes to live at a higher temperature. We as industrial water treaters, we're more used to testing the mesophiles that are, I refer to as the Goldilocks of bacteria. They like the temperature just right. When we test for just regular uh, heterotrophic plate count with a dip slide, we're testing for those mesophiles. I know there's a lot of people out there that are validating whether their water management plan is working or not based on those dip slides. What are your thoughts on that?
2: You can't do that. That is a tool in the toolbox. Um, you cannot definitively say just because you did a, a plate culture for Legionella, you did not get zero group one. Therefore, your system is clean. No, there could be a lot of other co equal bad guys that are uh, inside the pipe system because it's, it's a colony. There's a lot of uh, diverse biofilm that can habitate inside your premise plumbing system. If you're just using one of these guys, aerobic or heterotopic plant count, or just a legionella, or anything that specifically speciates, you're not going to find out what all is growing. And the trick is, if you have one guy growing, the odds are overwhelming that you've got a, a colony of something. You don't just randomly have one CFU of one legionella or a microbacterium that happens to come into the facility and set up camp. That's not how this works. They all need something to grab onto. And basically it's a coral reef and everyone is coming to feed on the coral reef and cohabitate. And what we need to do is shock the coral reef to discharge it. You're going to have all kinds of different fish and different species and different life forms, uh, like different types of food. And some as they die become food source for the next guy. When it comes to biology, um, you cannot use just one guy as your standard for test and say that's it for the
0: entire facility. We're good from this point forward. You're just overlooking so much. Well, you mentioned a test for Legionella specifically, Sarah Group 1. So I'm now that building owner again, and I now received a report that says we have a positive for Legionella Sarah Group one. And there's a whole host of different ranges that that can be in. So at what point do I need to be concerned about it versus I really need to sound the alarm?
2: That's a multifaceted angle. Is this your first test ever? Would this be considered your initial baseline testing? Or is this a trend where you've got one particular tap that is a problem and always comes back with like 3CFU or something? Or is this the beginning of a representative sampling for your facility. You have 85 fixtures, are you taking nine samples to get a diverse spectrum of what's legitimately growing in the system as a whole versus just a distal tap? If this is chronic and it's above 30% positivity for the facility, you need to take action. Uh, if it's less than that, you can up your control measures, increase your flushing, limited scope remediations if necessary, or if it's just that bad and just does not take get out of my pipes for an answer,
0: you can do a full scale remediation. So, you spoke about positivity, and I've heard several people speak that that's a more accurate way to look at an entire system. Can you speak a little bit more on that?
2: In, in any given facility, there are, there are so many uh, water, water features. We'll call them sinks or showers or, or, or toilets, uh, hot tub spools, anything that's capable of dispersing water. And any one of these counts as a site. Um, in the total number of this facility, Basically, uh, you want 10% as a representative sample to see how much in the entire sphere of this building is growing. If 30% of that representative sample comes back positive, you have a problem. That means um, 10% of my buildings that are all over the place, and you hit the hot spots, the incoming, the hot water tank, the, the return lines, the distal spots, all the, all the Achilles heels. If you hit all the sweet spots and 30% of those come back, you have an infestation problem between the source where it comes in and the distal. And
0: that is the problem. So we do that as a baseline? Do we do that every time? How do you suggest we proceed?
2: <laughs> okay, I'm going to wear my salesman hat for just a second. Fair enough. Yes, you absolutely want that as a baseline every time. In my mind, if you have a water management plan, you need to pull the trigger uh, for representative sampling, and that is your starting point from this point forward. I don't really care what happened before, and you odds oh, are the records are non-existent uh, to whatever test you had before. Moving forward, um, rotate through these representative samples to make sure that if it's a positive, it's a random fluke, because you're always gonna have a random hit of like 0.2 or 0.3 or 0.4. I know no facility that's gonna come through with a clean bill of health every single time. There's always something. And if it comes back chronically and, and or increases in either the number of taps that come back positive or the CFU levels that are detected, That's when you roll up your sleeves and say, we have a problem. Let's address this before it gets out of hand.
0: And the sooner, the better. Well, let's talk about that time. Most of the time, everything is fine. And then there's that one positive. And let's say it's not very high at all. Customer really doesn't understand it. They see, oh my gosh, it's a positive. They're flying off the handles. How should we have that conversation? Do not take the nuclear
2: option. This is not the end of the world. I realize Janet likes to not use the word ubiquitous anymore, but I'm going to go back with it. Um, it, In some way, shape, or form, it is everywhere. Surface water, groundwater, wherever there's a water source with biology can be in it. At some point in time, it will be in it. If it gets past the chemical hurdle that the municipal water suppliers are giving you, anything beyond that chemical hurdle, uh, if they're giving you one uh, ppm of free chlorine, if there's enough biology to overcome that, it's going to set up shop. Uh, completely unabated in, in the system. And if it can grow, it will, because the system is now in an ideal growth range. The temperature, the lack of flow, uh, 112 degrees and lower on the return side, uh, hots are a particular uh, sweet spot. And what bothers me is like automatic hand washing valves and aerators, they're great for uh, water conservation. The problem is they're horrific for a Legionella. Because again, we go back to if it's moving, it can't stick, it can't stick, it can't grow and amplify and discharge. But with these constrictions, that adds to the problem. Now you've got to pull your aerators off and flush the lines back out in order to get this unwelcome visitor out of your plumbing. I don't like when people uh, read any positive as we need to pick up the biggest hammer we can and start going at it. This needs to be a, a gauged response. If you have one hit one time, that's one CFU, flush. Heat and flush, limited flush. If you think it's a, a, a faucet, pull the faucet off, clean it, sanitize it, put it back on, replace the faucet. Um, because we have had aerators that were just biologically loaded, and all you had to do is change the aerator, and the one CFU hit went away. Don't pick up the phone and say, I need a remediation tomorrow morning,
0: when all you have is one spot, and it's not repeatable. So how often should aerators be changed, and how do you know that they need to be changed?
2: Um, aerators are sticky, because the, the varies. the um, there are many factors that go into that. What is your typical water hardness? How fast are they going to scale? Does that scaling produce a phenomenal growth medium? Or is it clean water like you in Atlanta have fantastic water? I, I hate you for that. It's basically it's still coming out of the tap. So if you've got clean water and there's fair flow to it, you don't have to change them that often. Throw them in, in a bleach solution and sanitize them, put it back in place. But if you've got scaling going on on a regular basis, a lack of flow, a wing to your facility that's not used very often or a basement that's not used at all, just don't don't even... Hesitate. Unscrew it. Flush the line. Put a new one on. Be done with it.
0: What do you think one of the most misunderstood items is when we're talking about Legionella prevention programs? I don't think there's a winner for that. There's
2: a couple that stick out. The first is people think because they don't have a, a hit that they're safe. They're not. It, it's you, You'll always be diligent and on your toes doing your water management plan and verification to make sure you're ahead of the curve. And if you let your guard down and you think, you know, the city's doing their job and all the lines are always going to be flushed out, you're going to have a growth problem. People also think that just because it doesn't affect them, it's also uh, a non-issue. Again, that's not the case. That goes back to uh, retirement facilities. Could it be your mother? Do you want, do you want to ignore this problem? You, know, you you need to get on it. But the misunderstanding is either complacency It's not in our face. It's not costing us time and money. Therefore, why should we care? Versus we see any kind of positive and we need to pull the trigger on the nuclear option. We fight both of these because people need to be talked off the ledge or they need to be talked into proper action. And I don't know which one's more painful or which ones we deal with more
0: often. I use this podcast all the time to get out things that are bothering me and inspire people to stop doing things that just frankly irritate me. So I'm going to give you that same privilege. What's something that you see other water treaters doing that you just want them to do better at, to stop doing? What is it? We have been
2: very lucky in the fact that many people come knocking on our doors. We don't really advertise or or do cold calls. And a lot of the times it's like our previous water treater didn't give us a report on time or didn't show up on time or was inconsistent or never had chemical on hand. Something's always falling through the cracks and there's only so much that you you can do so often for so long before they've had it. One of my biggest gripes is when I hire and train people, my first question and everyone in the staff laughs and cringes simultaneously when I ask this question. What's in city water and why do we care? And the biggest concern is it affects everything. Chillers, closed loops, domestic systems, um, uh, boilers, whatever, anything that can consume water, you need to know what's in it. And as far as prior treaters that irritate me is they're never doing the city water testing either appropriately or at all. A lot of cases, it's they're not doing it at all. The closed loop test says, you know, 50 ppm nitrite, we'll see you next month. That's not a report. <laughs> so my problem is lack of attention to detail, lack of uh, follow through. This is not how you perform
0: services. You're, you're hired for a reason. Do your job. That's my irritation. Do you think that comes from a lack of caring or a lack of knowledge? Not necessarily a lack of knowledge, because at some point in time, you'll accidentally pick a lot of this stuff up.
2: It's complacency on the service uh, part, because they've been on the road too long. They've got too many sites to deal with today. You know They've got problems at home. There are many issues that they're, that they're dealing with, and they're not focused on the meticulous care that this customer is paying for. And it's like, I'll get it to it next month. And when next month comes, I'll get it to it next month. And next thing you know, you know two years down the road, July, uh, you've lost the account. It's not that they don't want to. I think they're sidetracked. I think they're just busy,
0: overwhelmed. It's hard to do 40 of these you know, in a month and stay focused. What's one of the biggest lessons life has taught you? Things aren't usually as they appear. There's usually more complications and a
2: a lot deeper uh, issues beneath what you're seeing, especially in our business. As you know, water treaters are responsible for all the world's problems. When in doubt, blame the water treater. Exactly. (laughs) I'll take responsibility. It's my fault. I get it. Also, um, one of the things that irks me is people want cheaper, and especially in water treatment, they always say, "You, you, you get what you pay for. No, that's not usually the case because I've seen some horribly cheap underbid contracts that just come back to haunt the owners because cheap isn't always cheap and free is one of the most expensive words in the English language. If you're looking for a good job, you may likely be paying a a good price for it. But this goes back to my first sentence. Things are more complicated than they appear. Do Do your investigations correctly, set up your services correctly, Interface with the customers. If they don't know that you're in the building and they haven't seen you for months, they don't know if you're still treating their systems. They might just totally ignore your invoice, going, "You haven't been here for six months. Why am I paying this bill?"
0: So, uh, is there any specific example where, because you mentioned earlier through making mistakes you learned, was there a specific mistake that you can cite that inspires people? Okay, we'll do stuff new. I did this and I learned something about it. So the mistake actually propelled me further. I don't think
2: there's a single mistake that was made. I think it's a lot of little mistakes that you make. It's like, oop, I shouldn't have done that. When I hire and train people, I specifically said I want them to make the mistakes in front of me. It is uh, not that I want to critique them and and flog them for it. It's a learning experience because now they'll know when I make that face that there's an oops involved and they need to take note of what caused it and how to get around it. From that point forward, they'll never make that mistake again. Versus if you let them just, Say, this is a closed loop. You can't screw this thing up. Merry Christmas. Let me know when the report's done. And they come back, we drain the system. There's a leak. It's ruptured. We can't fix this. (laughs) I don't like oopses. (laughs) That's a big oops. So the little mistakes that we make, we've accidentally left sample ports, Um, on cooling towers that are cracked open and just constant drip across a maintenance floor. And, you know, the maintenance people, this thing's stuck like a pig. Uh, It's leaking all over the place. Shut it down. What's the problem? Calling, you know, HVAC people and the, you know, $1,000 bill because of a sample port dribbling open. Same thing with a closed loop where it's been cracked open and we've lost all the nitrate and came back next month and it says 50 instead of 1,000. Now there's no protection. There's lots of city water into it. And if we don't get a handle on it right then and there on the spot, you know, You've killed the passivation, you have to start the system over again. A lot of little mistakes. Uh, You think that a pump is primed because uh, the pumps are making the correct noise and the lines are flexing like they're supposed to, except the footer's clogged. It's just trying to pull a vacuum and can't. You have to pay attention to all these little details. And the oops is if you walked away and didn't notice that the exact correct sound or fluctuation on that chemical feed line was correct, they would have no uh, oxidizing biocide for the next month. In a gloom tower and like seriously high
0: heat and humidity, say Carolinas, that would be a problem. You'd walk back to a petri dish next month. So I guess if I could boil all of that wisdom down, it's, it's don't assume, verify. Verify, yes. Larry, if you could only get one point across on today's podcast, what do you want that point to be? As we're basic, we're primarily water
2: treaters, and you're one of the most professional, meticulous men that I know of uh, and admire you for that. I'm an engineer, I'm in the same boat. I just if I could just go nuts on every building every single time, I would these things would be polished like dimes. but again, time constraints. In general, um, the overview is this. Because of the pandemic, my answer has changed. It would have been professional people act professional. show up and do your job like you're supposed to get the reports out, get the system you know clean and efficient as long as lifespan possible. That's what we're there for. Since the pandemic, my answer has changed radically. It is because all the systems are down. Uh, They walked away, turned all the cooling towers off, the pumps are off, the buildings are vacant, and some of these systems are just now becoming operational again. And the problem is this you can't take everything that's totally turned off for 10 months, flip it back on, and pretend that nothing has happened. So, as far as the buildings go, flush the water. Just keep the water moving. If you don't have a water management plan or emergency procedures in place, and you're not doing testing, flush the water. Whether you think the building is, is occupied or not, whether you know people are using the water or not, continue on the flushing. That is our best protection to get the systems back to normal, operational. Uh, It's not just the consumption in the building. It is protections for anyone who can uh, come in the building, whether they be
0: employees or contractors or what have you. Keep the water moving. That's the short answer. Well, Larry, we've done Legionella episodes before. We've done episodes on water management plans. But you bring a perspective because you're boots on the ground every single day. So thank you for bringing that to the podcast I'm not quite done with you yet. I've got a few lightning round questions for you. So are you ready, sir? (laughs) Okay, I'm scared. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. So it's now your very first day as a water treater. And you can go back to it because I'm giving you access to a time machine. What advice would your today, Larry, give your first day as a water treater, Larry? (laughs) I hate to
2: confess this, but I'm going to say this. Relax. Because uh, Brian Wehmeyer, and at the time one of my teachers was Don Himes, they said, you're doing a great job. You're just overanalyzing the hell out of it. And the problem is, if you're stuck in constant analysis paralysis, you're not going to proceed forward with, you know, making new mistakes to learn and, and grow. Where I was just choked with indecision and just nervous, I'm going to screw something up and I didn't want to, you know, look like an idiot in front of my teachers and just relax. Let let the mistake happen. Uh, l- let the knowledge flow inside of you and just take it as it comes. What are the last few books that you've read? Those are all over the map too. <laughs> I have no doubt. Uh, <laughs> okay. It, it can't always be science. So um, I read uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, The Selfish Gene, Tom Harris, Hannibal, because I need something completely off track and nothing says off track quite like cannibalism. <laughs> And the last one is Colin Frayne's uh, Boiler Treatment book that I got started on and so horribly sidetracked ever since. Yes, that's just a page turner, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I don't need sleeping pills anymore. <laughs> Colin, we love you. That is all out of love. All right, so uh, my next question, when Hollywood makes a movie about your life, who plays Larry? I picked James Dewan
2: for a reason. Um, he's the engineer on Star Trek. And he has a bag of tricks like mine and can work on anything that man has made. And he may not always be able to fix it. He can
0: work on it, make it better, and make it at least operable to get the hell out of the problem. As a fellow Trekkie, I appreciate that answer. And if I recall, one of his tricks was he always multiplied the amount of time that he needed to fix something by five so he looked like a miracle worker. Miracle worker, yes. (laughs) Correct. Larry, my last question. You now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Um,
2: I'm going to pick uh, Nikola Tesla, not because of uh, any modern car interpretation, but um, back in the day, if you study up on his uh, history in the slightest, he had a rival, Thomas Edison, who made it his life's work to bury the man, uh, and he died basically bankrupt, pauper, and insane. I would love to rewind the clock and get a conversation going with a man and have his work just flourish <laughs> It's breathtaking to think where his engineering mind would have taken us, especially in today's age. AC versus DC, exactly. And t- Edison was all about DC, and
0: he was going to inflict that on the world if it killed us all. <laughs> yeah, Tesla had a vision that there was infinite wireless power. Imagine if if that's what we had starting way back then. Oh, I, I, it's it would be so
2: far ahead in a t- technology and. Uh, utilization of electricity, Uh, it, it scares me to think about it, but it's a very pleasant thought.
0: Well, Larry, I love your mind. And every time we get into a conversation, it always goes way deeper than I anticipated, but I always learn something. And I really want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O and teaching us a few things.
2: I greatly appreciate you having me and I look forward to a visit with you at AWT.
0: Larry, thanks again for coming on Scaling Up H2O. I so much enjoy every conversation that I have with Larry. He is the quintessential engineer. And Larry, if you ask what time it is, you're going to tell that person how to build a watch. But it is going to be the best watch that anybody could build. And you cannot ask Larry a question without learning something. And I've really enjoyed, as he has learned more and more about water treatment, and as he mentioned, I'm privileged that he mentioned me as, as one of the people that has helped him out with that. When he's asked me questions and I've answered them, you can just see how he's processing every little bit. And I think that goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the podcast. What he's doing is he's challenging what he knows and what he doesn't know. And he's trying to expand what he knows to what he doesn't know. So, he can know more. And the questions that he asks after I tell him something about whatever question he asked me previously are always so well thought out. So, I think all of us can learn a lesson from Larry. And, and Larry, again, thanks for coming on the show. You were always so fun to talk to. Something Larry mentioned that I want to point out was when he's training people, he loves to allow people to make. Mistakes, And a lot of people might be thinking, well, hey, that's mean. Or maybe your training program is organized to eliminate mistakes. Now, you might remember an episode I did a couple of months back with Marty Stevens. That was 205. And he explained his first day as a water treatment professional and his trainer allowed him to make a mistake. Now, it was a mistake that the stakes weren't very high, so there wasn't a lot that was at risk there. But because Marty made that mistake, he never made it again. And that's exactly what Larry said. So many of us try to protect people that we are training, or we try to make things more efficient so they don't have to go through some of the trials and tribulations that we went through. But I have to say, we are not allowing them to experience the lesson we learned why not to do the thing that was a mistake. So just consider it. I'm not saying, you know, mess up your accounts or get somebody hurt or burned or whatever. So use common sense with this. But if people are allowed to make mistakes, that's where the true learning is. And if you haven't made a mistake in a while, I'm going to challenge you to see if you're really working outside of your comfort level? Are you doing James's challenges? Are you making sure that you're learning something new at every opportunity that you have? And if you're not making yourself uncomfortable, you're going to work yourself into complacency. So working on that outer edge of comfort to just slightly uncomfortable, you know that you are getting better and better with everything that you do. Nation, since it is the day after Thanksgiving, I want to give thanks for all of you out there in the Scaling Up Nation for taking the time to listen to Scaling Up H2O. I know there's not that many choices out there when it comes to a podcast that fits our industry, but I know you have a choice to listen to talk radio or to listen to Scaling Up H2O or to listen to a dissection of the last Sunday's sports game and you've chosen to listen to Scaling Up H2O and I want to thank you for that and then Scaling Up H2O has reached the number of people that it has and the number of countries that it has because of you. You have been telling people that you need to listen to this podcast, that you're going to learn something, that you're going to get inspired, and I've I've heard people tell other people that, and that's just amazing to me. So thank you for all of you that have done that, that continue to do that, and what I'm going to ask you, so how you can thank me if you want to, is to continue to do that. We have not reached every single water trader out there. And the bigger the Scaling Up Nation gets, I think the more relevant this podcast becomes, the more community that we build together. And, you know, a, a rising tide raises all ships, but a bigger ship can hold more people. Never heard that said before. And I don't even know if that makes any sense. But there you go. I said it. How big can we make this ship? as we're making the water treatment industry better. So I urge you to keep on telling people about this podcast. And if you haven't left a review for us on your favorite podcast player, that also helps us find the next Scaling Up H2O listener. So that helps us a lot. That helps us with search engines. I wanna thank you for listening each and every Friday. Of course, next Friday, I'm gonna have a brand new episode for you that's going to be in December. That means we have one month left in 2021. Normally, sales goals are just blown out of the water in December, I guess because people know there's only so much time left for the year. Just imagine if we had that attitude for the entire year. I know I've had that show before. Nation, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. One of the things I hear so often about the Rising Tide Mastermind is about how well the members in the Rising Tide Mastermind listen to other people. Folks, we are programmed to give quick advice even if we don't have all the information. Through the issue-solving track that we practice in the Rising Tide Mastermind, you will learn how to ask better questions so you can give better advice and that will shorten the road for whatever issue you're trying to solve. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.